of you guys that, that have called Coastal home for a long time, this is going to be great because it's just a refresher about what we're about as a church. And so I, I, I'm excited about that. And one of the ways that they used to chart and determine how you got places back in the day was is they used stars for directions. And so, and so it got me thinking this week. I was thinking about stars partly because my wife and I were back in Bradenton uh, this past week visiting family. It was, a, it, was, it was great because it was a harmless trip for one of the first times ever. No blood was shed or family members hate each other anymore. So it was, it was like a really, really good trip. But we grew out, out in the country. And so we were driving back to our hotel that is now uh, what used to be country. It's now pretty built up. And, and as we were driving, I was like, man, I can't see any stars. And, and I said that to Shayla because as little kids, we've known each other since we were little kids. We used to sit on a, on a trampoline at our house and look at the stars and count stars and find Orion's belt and find the North Star. And I was like, man, it stinks that we can't see any stars anymore. And, and it got me thinking, man, I've been thinking all this week about stars. And so I did a little bit of research about stars. And do you know that the closest star to us is the sun? And the sun is a G2 yellow dwarf star. Um, I don't know if you knew that or not, but every time I've said that this week, I feel like I'm so much smarter than everybody else because I know that the sun is a G2 yellow dwarf star. And, um, and so the, the, the sun is the closest star to us. Do you know how close the next closest star to us is? Anybody? Nobody knows. Okay, it's 75,000 years away based on the fact if we were to jump into the fastest rocket ship that we have here on Earth, and if we were to travel to the next star, it would take us 75,000 years to get there. How many of y'all know that's a, that's a long road trip right there? That's a, like, kids in the car are like, are we there yet? No, I'm going to kill you before we're there yet. That's what that trip looks like. But, um, I mean, that's a long, long, long ways away. And so it got me thinking that every time we look up and we see stars, we're actually looking into the past because the reality of is if a star is 75 thousand miles away. The reality is, is when we're looking at it, what we're seeing now is something that happened a long time ago that we're just seeing the reflection of today. And so reality is, is when we're looking up at stars, we're looking up into the past. Just, just blew my mind reading about this and, 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 and all that. And so I want to do a little bit of a test with you here today. And so this is just educational. If you don't get anything out of the, the Bible aspect, you at least learn something about science today. Okay. So there's, there's something positive here. Um, and so I want to do this test. Um, how many stars do you think are out there in the world? I want you to write it down in your worship guide or in your notes. If you don't have a pen, why don't you just lean over to your neighbor and whisper in their ear, how many stars do you think are out there? If you don't know your neighbor, probably not a good idea to whisper in their ear. Okay, just saying. Probably unless you want to get a date later that maybe that's good. I don't know. But uh, how many stars do you think there are out there in the world? One billion. That's that's close. Um just in the Milky Way galaxy where we live, they, they estimate there's 200 to 400 million stars just in our galaxy. And they say throughout the universe, there are 300 sextillion stars in the world. I don't even know what a sextillion is, but, and I'm not sure if I can say it in church because it sounds just like a really, really dirty number. But uh, like there's 300 sextillion stars in the world. Now, here's, here's another little quiz for you. If you were to take all the grains of the sand on the face of the earth, that's a, every, every handful of dirt that you were to pick up, every single individual piece of sand that's in there, do you think that there are more grains of sand or more stars in the universe? Okay, some different, some different answers there. Um, I, I told you to write it down, not yell it out loud, but you guys, you guys are you're at, least, you're at least paying attention, so we'll give you 
thumbs up on that. Um, University of Hawaii actually did a research on this because they don't have anything else to do in Hawaii, apparently. Uh, and they actually said that there are 70 or 7.5 quintillion grains of sand on the face of the earth. I don't know what quintillion is, but they put it like this. It means for every single individual piece of grain of sand that there is, there are 10,000 stars on the face of the, uh, in the universe. So for every grain of sand, there's 10,000 stars. That's a whole lot of stars, isn't it? I mean, that's like a lot of stars. And here's what I want you to know, and here's what we need to know about stars. It's, it's not all that information. That's just educational. What we need to know about stars is that stars are meant to shine, and they're meant to shine bright. In fact, Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2. He said, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you, talking about us, will shine among them like stars in the sky. And what Paul is saying is, is he's saying, like, the, the whole idea of your life based in Jesus is that you are to shine like the stars. You're to be this brightness in dark places. You're to be able to, people are to be able to look up at you and say, man, there's something there, and I can be guided by what's happening in their life. In fact, Jesus said this about light. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. It's this idea that if you are a follower of Christ, that part of the expectation is, is that your life is to be different. It's that if you're a follower of Christ, part of the expectation is, is that your light is to shine and shine bright. Part of the expectation as a Christ follower is, is that God wants to do something in you and through you in life. Now, I remember when I, I gave my life to Christ. I was, I was 19 years old. I remember uh, I had been around church. I'd been around a lot of religion in my life. And uh, I've gone to Catholic high school. I've gone to uh, a Christian school because I got kicked out of public school. And so I understood a lot about religion and rules. And, and, and it was always something that turned me completely off. I was not interested in it at all. But I pretty much screwed up the majority of my life at age 19. I lost scholarships. I had made some really, really poor decisions that put me in some really difficult situations. And, and so I was at this low point in my life. And, and I went to church uh, one Sunday because I knew that there was going to be a hot girl there that I wanted to see. That's a good reason to go to church right there. You know, if you don't know Jesus, good reason to go to church is there are hot girls at church. I'm, just, I'm not going to lie. Lots of single ladies here that are looking for an awesome dude that loves Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, find him. You might be able to find one of them. Anyways, uh, and so I went there and, and I got, I, I remember this, I got absolutely nothing out of church. But I was sitting in the lobby afterwards uh, waiting on my parents who were there. And the pastor's wife came and sat down next to me and, and just had a conversation. And for some reason, the things that she was saying that day were so relevant to my life in that moment and how she was talking about my life and what God wanted to do in my life and how he wanted to cover up my screw-ups that all of a sudden it was like one of those days the light went on and I was like, man, I, I, I need Jesus and I want to be forgiven and I want to have the hope of eternity in my life. And, and I remember saying a prayer to myself and, and asking Jesus to be Lord of my life and, and just going, man, I'm going to live for God. And, and I was so overwhelmed by the fact that God would just accept me where I was. It, it just blew my mind. And, and the fact that I had this hope of heaven now and I was like, this is awesome. And then I left and I was like, but what do I do now? And anybody can relate? Like, I've got all this stuff. Like, 
I have this hope of heaven, but why do I have to wait for heaven? Like, why doesn't God just, like, beat me up to heaven right now and, like, I go party like it's 1999 with Prince up there and do it up? Like, why do I have to stay here on the earth? Like, why do I have to try to do all this stuff? And, and what, what about now? Like, what about today? What about tomorrow? Like, what is my life supposed to be like? And I'm, I'm sure that some of you have that exact same question. You're like, God, I've, I've got, I've been saved by grace, and I'm not demeaning that and underlying that. Like, I'm not throwing it away and saying, like, I'm not appreciative of that. But it's like, what about now? Like, is the rest of my life supposed to be about just jumping through spiritual hoops, hoping that I'm good enough that you'll accept me and love me? And just wait for the day when I die and go to heaven. Like, is that what this is all about? I think that there's this tension in the walk of every believer of like, what am I supposed to do today? And one of the reasons we started Coastal was we wanted to help bridge that gap of tension that's in people's lives. We wanted to help them discover that Jesus didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. Like, he just didn't save you so you could go to heaven. Like, that wasn't the ultimate goal for life. It's just you get to heaven. Like, that's part of it, but that's not his ultimate. The ultimate thing that Jesus wants is he wants something critical to happen through your life. He wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something through your life. Like, you have a purpose and you have a plan. When we started Coastal, we were... We, we set out with a, with a mission statement that we, we still use to this day. And uh, it, it, it looks like this. It says, we want to make it hard for people to go to hell. We'll make it easy for them to go to church so they can experience, know, and follow Jesus. We want to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church so they can experience, know, and follow Jesus. And uh, that's what we are all about as a church. And, and if you've been around church, let me kind of put it in church language for you. Basically, what that statement is, is implying is, is that we're about three things. We're about evangelism, we're about discipleship, and we're about community. And, and in that statement, um, can you just throw that statement back up here? Do you mind? Um, and, and so it goes, we want to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church. Basically, it's about evangelism. It's about helping people discover the person of Jesus. And we think one of the greatest places they can do that is in the local church in a body of believers. And so we're all about evangelism. We're about that happening. We're about discipleship. It talks about, wait, wait, go back to that. I'm, I'm, I've already said evangelism. They, they already wrote this thing down. Don't worry, just stay up, at the, up on the thing. Sorry, I'm messing you up, Sadie. Uh, and, and he says, so they will experience, know, and follow Jesus. You know what a follower of Jesus is? That's called a disciple. Our goal is to help people be followers of Jesus. Not that you're going to be perfectly look like Jesus, but every day you're going to get up and go, I'm going to follow Jesus today. I'm going to walk after Jesus. I'm going to try to look like Jesus. I'm going to try to act like Jesus. My life is going to be a reflection of Jesus. And throughout that statement, you see words like we and them and, and they, because it's all about doing life together. It's about community. It's about us not doing this alone on our own because when we're alone and on our own, we stumble and we fall and we have nowhere to go. But when we're together, man, people can pick us up. People can smack us on the butt and get us going. People can encourage us. It's all about doing life together. And man, we're about that. We, we love that. And I know some of you guys see this statement and you go, man, that's kind of an arrogant statement that you're like, man, we want to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church. Like, do you think your church is the best and perfect? Heck no, our church is jacked up and messed up. Like, all you got to do is stick around here two or three weeks and you'll find out we are an imperfect church. Partly because we're led by me. 
and I am definitely messed up. I mean, I'll tell you this. I set out January 1st. Like, my wife is not going to get mad at me this year. First day, mad at me. Not very successful. Not a perfect church, man. We're not perfect. And some of you guys, maybe you've been here two, three weeks, four weeks, a month. You think, man, I finally found it the perfect church. And if you're looking for the perfect church, let me just tell you something. You are looking for a unicorn. It does not exist, okay? And by some 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 random chance, you happen to walk into the perfect church. You know what? It's no longer perfect because your existence is there. Want to know why? Because we're an imperfect people. But we're an imperfect people who have been rescued and we've been redeemed. We're a mess, but we are a forgiven And I think one of the unique things about Coastal is, is, is how we define spiritual maturity in our church. And, and this is really important for you to know. I know some of you guys are thinking, like, I don't care how you define spiritual maturity. But you really do because how we define things will determine everything that we do in our church. It will determine the programming that we have. It will determine what your kids are taught. It will determine what we teach here, what our Sunday morning services look like, what our outreach looks like. It will determine all that stuff because all of that is impacted by what we believe. And so it's important that we understand what we believe here and how we base and how we do things. And so when I was in Bible college, there were some thoughts that went around that greatly impacted the church and is still impacting the church today. And, and one of the major things that I was taught in Bible college is that knowledge runs parallel with spiritual maturity. The more you know, the more spiritually mature you are. And so all throughout school, they're telling you, man, the more you can educate people, the more spiritually mature they're going to be. And, and I'm all for education. Like, I'm all about reading your Bible. Like, I think that's an important element. I'm all about memorizing Scripture. I'm all about praying. I'm about doing those things in life. So don't misunderstand me. But they thought that just because you had a whole bunch of activity meant that you were becoming. Just because you knew a whole bunch of information meant that you were actually living that stuff out. And what we failed to miss in school was is that, man, you could have a great knowledge of God's Word. Man, you could, have a, you could be attending a Bible study and not be growing. You could be praying every day and never connecting with Jesus. And you could have all of this activity going on in your life. And we just thought, the more you know, the more you grow what we thought. And we failed to see that it's application of the information that equals transformation in people's lives. It's not just having a whole bunch of information, but it's like, man, we read all this, but what are we doing with all of this? Like, if it isn't doing something in our lives, then we're probably missing the point of what God was trying to say. And the more you dive into the New Testament of Jesus' teachings, the more you see that Jesus was never celebrating people that were highly educated. In fact, the people that gave him the greatest amounts of problems in his day on earth were the most religious and educated people. And what Jesus establishes all throughout the New Testament is saying, listen, it's not about how much you know. It's not about how, how many verses you can recite or how many stories you can tell. What my, how you're going to define spiritual maturity is based on how you love other people. 
The definition of how spiritually mature you are isn't that, man, you can, you can tell me Romans Road. It's can you live Romans Road? If you don't know what Romans Road is, don't worry about it. That's why Jesus said things like this in Luke 6, 47. I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me and listens to my teaching when he follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And what, what they're saying right there is it's not enough to just hear God's word. It's not enough just to have a whole bunch of knowledge of God. It's not enough to have scripture memorized because what the gospel is calling for, the gospel is not calling us to reflection of God's word. The gospel is calling us action from God's word. And a lot of us, what's happening in life is, is we're going, man, that's a good word. And we're, we're, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to chew on that. When, when the gospel isn't calling us to sit and chew on that, the gospel is calling us to do something with it. It's challenging us like, man, it's time to apply what God has said, not contemplate it. That's why Jesus said, if, you, if you, any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn away from yourself and quit and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You hear what happened there? He's saying, man, it's all about The gospel is always, the word of God is always calling us to a response. And culturally, what happens to us and, and what happens, especially in our society, is that we're way more comfortable with information than we are with intimacy. We're way more comfortable with, in, with information. I mean, it's, it's, that's why we go, when we're defining spiritual maturity, we automatically go to how much do they know? Because it's, it's easy to assess that from a distance. It's easy to look at somebody, they, there's an old saying, you can impress people from a distance, but you can only influence them up close. And a lot of us, we're, we, we can put on the guard, we can say the right things, we can do the right things, but at the end of the day, we love the comfort and the confines of information rather than intimacy because when you become intimate, when you get into a relationship, people know you on a deeper level. They don't care about what you know, they care about how you react to what you know. And if we get comfortable with just judging our spiritual maturity on the information that we have, what happens is we end up with a whole bunch of fat, gluttonous, overweight Christians. And spiritual gluttony sets in. And what happens, and we see it all the time, you can, you can watch people do this all the time, they, they, they go to a church and they go, man, I want to be fed. They're getting fed, they're getting fed, they're eating, they're eating, they're eating, and eventually they get so full at that table, they go, man, this, this food isn't really good here anymore. And so what they do, they pick up their plate and they roll over to another church and they sit down and they say, I want to be fed here. And this constantly goes and, and happens and they think, well, I'm just gaining more knowledge. Man, I'm becoming more mature. Becoming more mature. And here's the problem. Most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience in life. 
expectation of what Jesus taught all about in the New Testament isn't that we would just memorize what he said to do, but that we would actually go and do what he said to do. That we would shine and that we would shine bright and that daily we would pick up our cross and deny ourselves and follow after him with all that we have. This weekend I was uh, I was watching the college football playoffs and uh, the NFL playoffs. Any football fans in here? A couple of us football fans. Yeah, there's a couple. First service, there was like three people. I was like, this, this, what, what church is this? I don't understand this. Like, every person should be a football fan. It's, a, it's an amazing sport. You get to hit people and it's allowed. I mean, that's great. Where else do you get to do that besides MMA? Um, but like, I, I, I love football. Um, I, I love watching football. I'm so glad Alabama is out of the college football playoffs right now. Yeah, like all the Ohio State fans are like, yes, finally. Um, you know, like, I'm just, I just don't like Alabama. So if you're Roll Tide, Roll Tide, like, season's over. Okay. Um, but I, I love watching it because I, I know so much about it. Like, I can tell you uh, I grew up playing playing football on a college scholarship to play football. And I look out there and I look at defensive structures and I'm like, oh, man, they're in a cover two. They're in cover two. That quarterback should do a, an, an out route because there's going to be nobody there in that zone right there. That's that's a sweet spot. And, and oh, you know what? They should they should pull right now and do a 34 dive. And I'll, like, look over at my wife and I'll go, you see that play? That was a sweep option right there. And, and instead of the reason the quarterback didn't pitch right there is because the end went out to the, to, the, to the running back. And so he knew that he could turn up and he could get eight yards. And, man, I know so much about the game. I can tell you stats that nobody but a player should know because I have useless information in my brain. Like every other guy. Useless information. But there's a major difference between myself and the players on the field. Like I know all about the game. But give me a ball and tell me to hit that out route as a quarterback is going to be totally different. Or tell me to block that defensive lineman that's, that's crashing down. Like, I'm going to get annihilated. Because I have a lot of information about the game, but I don't play the game. And my greatest fear for the church as a whole and for us as Coastal is that what would happen is we'd produce a whole bunch of fans of Jesus, but very few followers. That we'd have a whole bunch of people that know all about the information of the game but will never get in the game and actually play it. And if you start to look at the, the teachings of Jesus, like they become pretty irrelevant if we don't get in and play the game. Like, why would Jesus tell us to deny our cross and, 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 and deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him daily? Why would Jesus say to, to be the greatest of you is, means that you're going to serve everybody else? Why would Jesus say things like, man, it, it, it's about, like, if you look lustfully upon a woman, man, you're committing adultery in your heart. Why would Jesus say things like, man, live generously and give things and it's about getting rid of everything so you can follow me? Like, why would Jesus say that kind of crazy things if he didn't mean for us to actually do some of those crazy things? And Jesus wasn't giving us a whole bunch of rules and regulations. That's not what he was doing there. He was trying to get us to live a different way of life. 
Because what he wasn't doing is he wasn't trying to edit our behaviors in that moment. What he was trying to do is he was trying to transform our hearts. He's saying, listen, if you want to live differently, you've got to do some things differently because as you start to live generously, as you start to give, you're going to see that your heart's going to change and you're going to start to, to run after the things that I'm about because that's where you're investing your life in. The reason I want you to serve is because that's what I modeled to you and until you experience that, you're never going to understand the fullness and the greatness of it and what it does for other people. It's about changing us from the inside out. And I started to think about all that God has done. And a lot of times I'm overwhelmed by the fact that, that God would extend grace to me. In the midst of my screw-ups, in the midst of my mess-ups, like I'm overwhelmed by it. But God doesn't just want me to be a receiver of his grace. He wants me to be an extender, an extension of his grace. God doesn't just want me to be a fan of Jesus. God wants me to be a, a follower of his son. God doesn't just want to save me from something. He wants to save me for something. You know what? He wants to do the same thing in your life. It's not just for me. It's for every single one of us. For every one of us. What happens is, is we've gotten some, some bad theology messed in there with the teachings of Jesus that says, man, if, if when you accept Christ, you know what, you're, you're, you're going to go and you're not going to sin anymore. Like you're going to go and you're going to rob and you're going to live this perfect life and it's going to be awesome and it's going to be great. And the problem with those kind of theologies is, is that, you know what, every day you're going to screw up. We don't get perfection until we get to heaven. Until that point, we are a work in progress. Or at least I am. Maybe you, you've arrived. But if you are, you've probably become self-righteous and arrogant, and therefore you sin. So, like, it's, like that's the flip side. Like, if you, if you think, like, I'm already there, then, then you have this arrogance about, like, I've arrived, and then you've messed up anyways. I mean, all of us on this earth are going to be about three things. We're going to be marked by them. Confession, repentance, and reconciliation. Confession, this is, this is what I did wrong. Repentance, man, that's not the man or that's not the woman I want to be. I'm going to be different. Reconciliation, it happens between you and God. That What was blocking you, it says sin separates us from God. All of a sudden, God takes that away and we are reconciled. We are brought back into a relationship that was, that was taken away by sin. It's a constant thing. It should be a daily thing for all of us. I know I see it daily. In fact, uh, I'm a huge golf fan. Any, any golfers out there? Any, anybody? No? This isn't the golfing crowd. One of us. Okay, cool. And it's a female. Okay, two females. Okay, wow, this is, this is a different crowd. Okay. Um, is this coastal? Really? Two, two women. That's it. Okay. Uh, guys, man, you gotta, you got to get holy. Get, get holy. God speaks on the golf course. Uh, but I love golf. Um, I love to play golf. I love to watch golf. There's nothing better on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon after preaching multiple services than going home and putting on golf on TV and letting it lull you to sleep. It's like heaven on earth right there. Most wives know this is true because their husband is on the lazy boy chair knocked out watching golf. And they, Why you turn that off? I'm watching that. No, you're not. You're asleep. Okay. But uh, I, I love golf. Uh, I love to watch golf. One of my favorite golfers is a guy named Bubba Watson. Uh, he's amazing. Huge Christian guy. Uh, two-time Masters champ, 
loves Jesus. And, and this past year, I was watching the PGA Championship, which is like one of the Super Bowl kind of things for golf. And uh, Bubba was in a was in a foursome. And uh, he, I, I don't think he un- understood or knew this, but ABC or NBC, I don't forget which network, happened to mic up their foursome. And, and Bubba was not having a very good round that day. And uh, if you ever play golf, you will have lots of days of not very good rounds, and it's the most frustrating game in the world. Well, Bubba was pretty frustrated in his round, and he said some things that he should probably never say in his life. And he didn't say, like, all shucks, that was a bad shot. He, like, dropped bombs on national television. And uh, immediately, Twitter just went crazy. I'm not talking, like, two or three tweets, like, saying bad things about Bubba. I'm talking, like, thousands of people jumping on Twitter and bashing him, like calling him a fake and all these different things. And let me just say something real quick. Why is it that Christians are the only army that shoots their wounded? Like, what's up with that? Aren't we supposed to, when somebody is down, aren't we supposed to extend a hand and pick them back up rather than like kicking them? Like that is, kicking them is not going to help them. Like when somebody stumbles and falls, man, we don't kick them at all, man, you're sin. No, 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 we go, man, God loves you anyways. Come on, get back up. He forgives you. Come on, let's move on to the next thing. And so, and so this is happening, and uh, he gets done with his round of golf, and, and I'm sure he looks on his Twitter account and sees people blowing him up, and he's like, oh, man, what happened? And so later that afternoon in, in August, he writes this tweet, and, and it so embodies this whole confession, re- repentance, reconciliation. He says, sorry for my actions today trying to get better as a person. Thanks for all your support of me. Y'all don't give up on me. And I'm going, that's it. That's what it's all about right there. Because what he says, he says, man, I screwed up today. You know what that is? That's confession. He's going, man, I'm messed up. I screwed up. He says, man, I'm trying to become a better person. He's saying like, who I was today isn't who I want to be. And so all of a sudden, repentance is happening right there. And what's unseen is reconciliation. All of a sudden, this separation that was between him and God is all of a sudden, it's closed. It's closed. Man, and every day we have the opportunity to connect with God on this level, to to get away from this point where we're separating. Because this is what I know. I'm 36 years old. And, and there's very, very few nights that I go to bed and go like, God, I killed this Christian thing today. Killed it. Man, I woke up and I, I read the word and like literally you spoke audible or maybe you wrote on the wall. And then I went out and I was so grace-filled and grateful. I witnessed the 13 people and they all got saved. And then I came home and I massaged my wife's feet and I cooked her dinner and I loved her unconditionally. And, and throughout my day, I was so productive that I got everything done and everything done for tomorrow and helped a lady on the side of the road change her tire. And man, I've got this thing wiped. God, I'm awesome. You know how many times that's happened? Oh, maybe, maybe once. Come on, give me a benefit of the doubt. Maybe not 13 people got saved or whatever. Give me it once, maybe twice. Man, you guys are a bunch of haters today. The reality is, is most nights it's like, God, man, I really screwed up this day again, didn't I? You know what? But tomorrow's a new day. It's a fresh start. While I might have messed up today, your mercies are new every morning. Tomorrow's a new morning. Tomorrow's a new day. I'm going to be better. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness.
because I've realized that spiritual maturity is something that's really, really important. And, and I know some of y'all are thinking, man, this guy's anti-spiritual maturity. He's anti-Bible reading. He's anti-prayer. He's anti- I'm not anti any of those things. What I'm anti is us trying to earn something from God that's given freely. It's called His love. Now think about an Acts 2 community, which is the book of Acts in the Bible in the New Testament. And I think about that community, and that community was not defined by their knowledge of God because they were uneducated. The Bible actually says that they were idiots. Gives me tons of hope for myself. They weren't known for great power. What they were known for was great love. Known for great love. Because they embodied what Jesus said in in John chapter 13. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world. Prove. says, you want to know how people will know if you're a follower of mine? It won't be based on how many verses you can repeat. Well, those are good things. It won't be based on how good your prayer is, because some of y'all, man, you got good prayers. My wife outprays me every single time. Like, I'm jealous. Like, I think she's so much more mature than me. She probably is, but that's a totally separate message. It's not based on how much you know. But it's going to be based upon is how you love. How you love the people around you that you know. How you love the people around you that you don't know. How you love the people that can do something for you. How you can love the people that can do nothing for you. Because if you truly want to know if people are following me, follow their love for people. I felt like and I had this conversation with Jesus this week and Jesus was like man teacher I want you to tell Coastal something it was it was so clear and so evident and I was like okay I'm going to do this and, and he said remind Coastal that they don't have to be the brightest church that they don't have to be most cutting edge church that they don't they don't have to be the most knowledgeable church that they don't have to be the most strategic church but would you remind them that what I'm calling them to is I want them to be the most loving church on the face of this earth to love people love them unconditionally no matter where they are no matter what stage of life no matter what situation they're facing that we would love them unconditionally because that's what my son and I do for them every day. My prayer is that we as individuals and that we as a church man, that we would be known for our love. That as we were focused this year and as we say, man, if I'm going to be known for something,
pass on everything that our loving God, loving people, and show them. Let's not just be it in words, let us be in action. Let's pray. God, I just come before you. Can I pray that all of us this year would be challenged every single day to look at our lives and say, man, how am I doing at being a disciple of Jesus? Not based on what I'm doing for Jesus, but how I'm living Jesus. Because Jesus was the ultimate reflection of love. Thank you for, for empowering us not just to receive your grace, but to 